Well, thanks be to God for uh, the reading of his word. Uh, This morning, I want us to think about uh, how kids, children, whether you have children, whether you've worked in uh, the nursery or in in children's ministry, uh, whether you just have been around them as an aunt or an uncle or a cousin, uh, or maybe you are one. I see some kids out there, right? Uh, That kids have a hard time with time. Let me give you an example. I'm a dad of three. Uh, my middle child, Remy, she loves to play games. Loves to play games. We, we play this game called Dragonwood all the time. Maybe you have that in your home. And Remy will say, Daddy, Daddy, can, can we play Dragonwood? And I'll say, just a minute. I would love to play with you, but just give me just a minute. Let me finish up what I'm doing. What happens? 60 seconds go by. One minute. Remy comes back and she says, Daddy, you said it was a mi- you said wait one minute and I did. It's time to play. That's not what I meant, Rem. Right? Like, like, give me just a few more minutes and we'll go through that again. Kids have a hard time with time. That's why if you are a parent, when you plan this great vacation, you don't let your kids know two or three months ahead of time. Some of you have done that and you regretted it. We did that. I do that. My wife doesn't do that but I get really excited and I tell my kids we're going to do something in two weeks and my youngest daughter asks every day is today the day maybe I'll learn at some point kids have a hard time with time you know it's it's no surprise that that the struggles of this life I think it also calls us to have a hard time with time whether we're two years old or we're 22 or we're 92 I think that time is one of those things that's difficult for us, the, the waiting of life. This text that we just read in Psalm 90, that the people of Israel, they, they find themselves having a hard time with time. You see, most likely Moses wrote this psalm. This psalm is most likely the oldest psalm in the Psalter. And Moses is writing this psalm as the people of Israel are between the rescue from slavery, and the promised land. The first generation of those who had seen God's great rescue out of the land of Egypt, they're beginning to die. And this new generation is raising up, and this new generation is forgetting about the powerful work that God did in delivering his people. And they have a hard time with this in-between time. One pastor and scholar, John Calvin, he says, Although the wonderful goodness of God shone brightly in their deliverance from Egypt, we know that soon after it was extinguished by their ingratitude, so that for the space of not less than 40 years, they were consumed with continual weariness in the wilderness. Weariness in the wilderness. You know, as I drive my car around my city, as I wait in line at stores, as I go shopping at the grocery store, you know what I feel a lot of in our world right now is a lot of weariness. We're waiting for stuff to get better, and we see glimmers of it, but then we see that it's not quite there yet. We're struggling as a culture and as a world right now. 
We're fighting so much and we are weariness. We have weariness in the midst of this wilderness. I think that Moses' prayer, while it was for those who were in this in-between time in the Old Testament, it's also for us today. That it meets us between the rescue of the cross and the coming promise of Jesus returning and making all things new. Wiping every tear away, he knows that while we live in this world right now, we will become weary. And he's given us his word today to encourage us. As we read, or as we have read this, I I hope that you ask the question, where am I today in my weariness? Am I lonely? Am I hopeless? Am I confused? Am I doing okay, but I, I know what weariness feels like? The question that I want us to ask this morning is, what does God's word have for us today as we find ourselves between the rescue and the promise? Here's what I think we'll see. I think we'll see that, that while we wait for the, for, the, for the consummation, while we wait for the new heavens and the new earth, Jesus meets us sweetly in reminding us that he is God, that we are not, but he's called us to work on this side of heaven, that he is God, that we are not, and let's get to work. If you look in the first two verses, we see these these beautiful proclamations of who our God is. Verse 1, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Now, this idea of dwelling place is not something we just, we use in everyday language, right? I I don't say, hey, after I get done Uh, Preaching this morning, I'm going to get in my car, and I'm going to go to my dwelling place. But what is a a dwelling place? A a dwelling place is both a refuge and a home. A dwelling place is is somewhere where you can go for safety and for for nourishment. A, A dwelling place is a place you can run to when you're fearful. But it's also a place where you can be built up that's what Moses is getting at here that God you are our rescue you are our savior you are our place in time of need but you are also the God that builds us up that grows us that changes our hearts that helps us see our need you are our refuge and you're our home but I wonder if for us we we live in fear of losing that my oldest daughter, when we told her uh, that we would be leaving Boise, Idaho, which is where we've been for the last three years, to move back to Wilmington, North Carolina to plant a church, uh, when we told her that we are going to do that, she burst into tears. Um, some of the things that, that she needs, she needs to feel safe, she needs to feel secure, and so she had this fear of losing her place. But we lived on this beautiful piece of property in Boise, Idaho, where my kids spent most of the time outdoors, playing in in trees and playing in the backyard. And for my oldest daughter especially, it became a very safe place for her. It became her dwelling place. It became a refuge for her. And we were taking that away from her as we said, we're going to leave here. and We're going to move to a new place that you barely remember And so as we talked to her, what we had to do is we had to remind her of the stories of of Wilmington. 
where we had lived for four or five years before, we had to describe for her the new home that she would live in. And then we, in March, we packed up our kids and we took everybody to Wilmington so that they would experience what it would be like. You know, we need to remember that He is our dwelling place. The Scriptures remind us of that. They describe for us that He is our dwelling place in the midst of uncertainty and unsurety on this side of heaven. And that every Sunday, and every time we go to the Lord in prayer, we have the opportunity to experience the work of the Holy Spirit in community and in our own souls. He is our dwelling place. He is God. What else do these first two verses tell us about this God? Even the structure of these first two verses can help us to understand the power of a dwelling place, of the dwelling place that is our God. Verse 1, it starts with this proclamation, Lord. At the end of verse 2, it says again, You are God. Lord, Lord, you are God, you are God. In all generations, before the mountains were brought forth, at the end of verse 2, from everlasting to everlasting, we see that he is eternal. This is our dwelling place, an eternal God. Right there in the middle, before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, you are also our creator. So another way to understand who this God is, who this dwelling place is, is to say that you are forever and always our maker, our creator, the God that knows us. You see, the God that is the dwelling place that we run to is the God that made us. And so he is the God that knows exactly what we need. So when we run to the dwelling place... We know that what he has for us is good and true and beautiful and restorative and perfect. doesn't mean it's always easy. It doesn't mean that the worries of this life, abuse that we've uh, encountered, it doesn't mean that, that the struggles that this world brings will magically disappear, but it means that we have a dwelling place that understands that, that meets us in that, that we have a God that went to the cross and suffered the ultimate death so that he might give us exactly what we need. Not just externally, but in our hearts and in our souls. He is God. He is the dwelling place. There's this Polish traveler. She has a YouTube channel. Her name's Ava Zubek. In many ways, uh, Ava is highly inexperienced. There's a lot that she doesn't know about travel. She's learning but she's up for whatever comes her way. And so here's, here's what she does. In one of her episodes, she buys this old SUV, this old Land Rover. And she fixes it up like a camper. And she's going to drive it around Poland and, and other places. And so she fixes it up and she heads out to Turkey to go and explore the, the country of Turkey. And while she's there she finds out that Land Rovers, especially an old Land Rover like this, they tend to break down a lot. And so she goes from little town to little town, and it seems like almost in every town that she goes to, her car breaks down and she has to get something fixed, and the local mechanic there doesn't have what he or she needs to fix it. 
and they can't get the parts. But they make do. They fix it as best that they can. But then she gets to one of the bigger cities in Turkey, and she finds out that there is a specialized mechanic who not only works on her type of car, but actually makes parts, especially for her type of car. And so in her experience, she goes from using parts that that might work or that might fix the problem to using parts that were made for it. She goes from working with mechanics that are guessing what's really wrong to a mechanic who knows how it's designed. She goes from wanting to be hopeful that it's finally going to be fixed to resting in the surety that everything was being made right, that everything was being redeemed. You know, we're inexperienced travelers, you and me both. No matter how long we've been in the church, no matter how much we've read the Bible, we are still in many ways inexperienced travelers in this world. But our God, our maker, he's our refuge, he's our home, he's our protection and our comfort, he's our forever and always creator, he is our dwelling place, he is God. And that is good news in this in-between. Because secondly, we are not God. We see that here in, in verses 3 through 10. You, you know, my guess is that most of us don't need to be hard-pressed to remember that we're not God. I said earlier I turned 40 this year, and my back hurts more than it has before. It's reminded me that I'm finite. No matter how much I exercise, I still have to deal with those issues. You know, I think that we do try, even though we know that we're not God, I think in a world that's upwardly mobile, like this one. I think we try to put ourselves on the throne of God, even if we don't say it with our mouths. I think we make efforts with how we try to control our life. And so, thankfully, Moses, he reflects on the sin of the people of Israel, the effects of that sin, he sees the reality of their state. Now, here's what we get to do as Christians. If you're not a Christian, you get to peek into the reality of how free we really are as Christians. As Christians, we get to talk about our sin. We get to talk about our failure. We get to talk about our brokenness. And we don't have to do that with fear. Because of what Jesus has done on the cross... But for us to, to really, quote, get real with God, we have to talk about our brokenness. And so as Moses guides us in talking about our brokenness, as a Christian, I want to invite you that we get to look at this through the lens of the gospel. That we know he's forgiven every wrong, that he's cast our sin as far as the east is from the west. But it's good for us to look at this because it shows us our need, our need for a savior it reminds us that we are not him. You know, in verses 3 through 6, Moses is reminding us that our life is very brief. Verse 3, we, we come from dust and we will return to dust. That, that this life we live is temporary. Verse 4, for a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday to God. The person in the Bible who lived the longest, almost lived a thousand years. 
And Moses is saying, oh yeah, a thousand years to our God are like yesterday. But two weeks to me seems like forever. Our life is brief. In verses 5 through 6, we see this fragile nature of our lives. Look at it, especially the the illustration that Moses is using about, about grass. He says, You swept them away as with a flood. They are like a dream, like grass that is renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes and is renewed, and in the evening it fades and it withers. You know, we just spent the last three years with Reformed University Fellowship, the campus ministry of our denomination, uh, working in Boise, Idaho. Uh, Boise, Idaho is high desert. Does not rain or snow that much in Boise, Idaho. But in the spring, the rains come, and it's awesome. The hills turn green. The snow begins to melt. The rivers begin to fill up. Your yard looks good for once. And then June hits, and almost overnight, the 100-degree weather comes, and the beauty of the hills, the luscious grass and sagebrush, it goes from green to brown overnight. And so instead of going for a walk in your yard, in your bare feet, and feeling great, you go to walking in your yard and little pieces of grass sticking in the bottom of your foot. Just that quick, when the, when the water is taken away, the grass withers. This is our life. Our life is brief. Our life is also struggle. We see that in verses 7 through 10. Moses in uh, 7 and 8, he's talking about the sin of the people of Israel. He says that, that they're not being faithful to their God in the wilderness. For we are brought to an end by your anger, your wrath. We are dismayed. You have set our iniquities, our failures, our sins before you. Our secret sins in the light of your presence. Moses is acknowledging that God knows and sees all. That he knows even to the heart of their secret sins. Our life is struggle. These people were struggling with sin. Do you relate? I do. I struggle with my pride and my arrogance. I I struggle with wanting to control things. I could make a long list up here today, right? That's why we have a confession of sin time in our services. Because we know that we have need. We know that we struggle. We know that our sin, it, it puts us at odds with our God. Is there a bigger struggle? No, there's not. We struggle with sin. We also struggle with the consequences of it. In verses 9 and 10, that every area of our life is touched by the brokenness that comes from sin. Look right there where it says in verse 9, For all our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. Do you feel that? Do you ever just want to sigh in exhaustion sometimes about the lack of growth in your life? We are sinful. You know, our life is short. In the end, our life will not find its fulfillment in what we do. It'll find it in a person. And so as we consider our sin, as we understand that He gloriously is God, and we definitely are not, we actually have a beautiful calling. 
that, that even though we fail, even though life is short, our God has called us. He has named us. He has chosen to do this church thing with us. He calls us to get to work. You know, verses 3 through 10, they're, they're not exactly the, the halftime speech that gets the team ready to go out and come back from being down. It's not the, the happiest of things. But I do think for us in the church, it's the sweetest place that we can be. As God calls us to our real work, the only way we can accomplish the work that he's called us to do is to understand that we are in a place of need. That it's actually him working in us. It's him doing the work of ministry through his people. What is ministry? What is the work that God's called us to but dependence? And so in these last few verses, Moses is praying to God to be the one to act. That's our job, is to pray. Prayer is our work. Look at what Moses prays for. In verse 12, he prays for understanding and wisdom. Teach us to number our days so that we might get a heart of wisdom. Alan Harmon, a, a scholar, he says, here to number means something more than just arithmetic. It's a spiritual approach to our human life and especially to our fleeting earthly existence. The end result of such numbering is that we're able to bring to God as an offering a heart of wisdom. It's we come in knowing that we're finite and that God will do more with that than coming in with our spiritual resume of all the things that we've done for him. He wants to see us ready to receive his blessings, not to bring the blessing to him. What else does Moses pray for? He prays for God to keep his promises, to make good on his covenant. Look in verses 13 and 14. Return, O Lord, how long? Have pity on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all of our days. This is the Old Testament word in the Hebrew, chesed. No, I didn't just sneeze. It's an Old Testament word meaning covenant love, loving kindness, God's faithfulness. Moses appeals to God's promise. That is how we live as Christians. As we wait between the crucifixion and the return of Jesus, we appeal to his promises, day in and day out, big and small. We pray to him that he would keep good because he is a God that will keep good to his promises. Verse 15, make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us and for as many years as we have seen evil we pray to experience the full redemption found in our God. Verses 16 and 17, we sang about this. Let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to their children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us. Establish the work of our hands upon us. We pray for lasting and rooted ministry. You guys have been through so much as a church. I was talking to Andy before the service today, and I didn't realize just how many places you worshipped in the last three years. 
May the favor of the Lord be upon you and establish the work of your hands. Whether it's in the parking lot or in this new building. Whether it's in an elementary school gym with a climbing wall, which is where I remember this church being. Or whether it's in your homes or back porches. May he establish the work, give you lasting and rooted ministry until he returns. You see, here's the beauty of the gospel. Is that we work in the refuge. Another way of saying it is, as Christians, we have the ultimate work from home job. That we work in the safety of our Savior. That we love, that we serve, that we give that we connect with people, that we welcome people in, not on our own, but within the refuge of our Savior. Now, as we tie this thing up, I think it's important to know that, that as you read about Psalm 90, different people, far smarter than me, they kind of disagree on what the central verse is of this psalm. And as I look back, Uh, At this point in in history, I can't help but take my eyes to verse 11, the one verse we didn't read, where it says, Who considers the power of your anger and the wrath according to the fear of you? Who would take that on? Who would take on God's wrath? I think verse 11 points us straight to Jesus. Jesus who took the power of the anger of God. Jesus who took the wrath of God. It's Jesus that took our sin that we might be called children of God. 1 John tells us that. That we are called children of God. That he lavished his love upon us. And children, children have a hard time with time, don't they? We as his children, have a hard time with time. So when Jesus says gloriously, I am coming soon, and the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, all the things that we're after, all the things that we want, or the things that have been done to us, they make us say, really Jesus, soon? In 60 seconds, in a week, in two weeks, you said you were coming soon, but this world is too much. When Jesus says, gloriously, I am coming soon, here's what he does. He also meets us right where we're at. We can know him. That is eternal life. It begins now. He meets us in the place between the rescue of the cross and the coming consummation. And he's promised to preserve us till the end. So Trinity Park, be encouraged today that if you know Jesus, if you are walking with him as a church community, he knows exactly what you need and he is with you and for you in this in-between. May the favor of the Lord our God rest upon you. May he establish the work of your hands. Amen. Let me pray. God, we thank you for your word, Lord. We thank you that that you are mighty. And that, Lord, while you've gifted us, while you've given us so much, Father, we still ache for fullness. Lord, I pray that this church be a light to one another as we point people to the fullness, to our refuge, to our strength. God, I pray that this church be gospel-shaped. Lord, that it points people to you.
in finding true fullness. Lord, we do pray that the favor of your hands would rest upon us and establish the work of our hands. Yes, establish the work of our hands. Amen.